Hello, friends. Welcome to Read 'em and Weep. It's me, your host, Sammy, and I have a fun episode for you guys today. All three of the hands that I'm doing on today's podcast are against the same villain. And this villain's a really good player. For the sake of the podcast, we'll call him Brett. And Brett is, he's about 30 years old, and he's a professional player and plays 2-5 here in the Bay Area uh, at the local card rooms. And I would say that Brett is probably one of the top three players I've encountered at this stake. I mean, you know, I just have a lot of respect for his game. I would classify him as a tight aggressive, a tag. And I think the thing that stands out to me about Brett is that he just doesn't make mistakes, man. Like this guy is super bulletproof. He thinks through his spots super well. He's fairly balanced. I I would say maybe if there was a hole in his game, it's probably that he doesn't quite bluff enough. Like certainly he bluffs, but I'd say he probably doesn't bluff quite at the optimal frequency. But even then the guy just like thinks through his spots so well. It is so, so, so rare to see him make a mistake. The guy's just always making the right decision. It's it's super annoying. You know, I've talked about that the that the highest stakes you can generally find anywhere in the Bay Area is 2-5 with a 1K max. And I've, like, talked to this guy off the table, and, and I've told him, like, he should be playing bigger stakes because I believe that he would be a solid winner at 5-10. He'd be a solid winner even at 10 and a quarter. You know, the guy's just, he's just a really good player. And I think what he thinks of me, uh, I, I think he respects my game. Uh, I, I would assume so. I also think he probably believes that I'm a bit of an overaggressor. Uh, I've definitely bluffed him a, a number of times. I've been caught bluffing by him a number of times. We, we've definitely, like I said, gotten to our battles. So, you know, the way I see the population at 2-5 is half of them are droolers. And even the the solid winning regs at, at 2-5, they're generally not that good. They just kind of make fewer mistakes than the other people, but they're not really great players. So I'm going to play against those players a lot differently than I'm going to play against somebody like Brett because Brett's just a really rock solid thinking player who's going to be balanced, who's going to think through his spots, and and those hands against him are going to be really challenging. So like I said, I have three hands. They're all against Brett. I hope you guys like them. Let's get into the hands. All right, hand one, two, three, five at the California Grand Casino. Our buddy Brett opens it up from early position to 25. And it folds around to me in the cutoff, and I look down at ace six of diamonds. Pretty, pretty hand. It's an interesting spot. You guys know that I advocate for doing a lot of three betting when you're somewhere in the middle. So if you're not on the button, it behooves you to three bet a lot to to buy yourself position post-flop and to knock out the blinds, etc. However, in this position, I don't really love it for two specific reasons. Number one, Brett opened from early position. So Brett's going to be really structured. He's going to be playing a really strong, tight range from early position. Not exactly the kind of range that I want to be three betting against. Secondly, my hand is not that great of a three bet candidate. Certainly, I have an ace, which has some blocker effects to some of his strongest hands. But I'd way rather three bet ace five rather than ace six. Even though I know ace six beats ace five hot and cold a lot. Ace five just has a lot more playability because of its wheel potential, whereas ace six doesn't really. So I could also certainly just fold the hand, taking all this stuff into account. But man, I, I don't love folding suited aces when I'm going to have position post flop to a single raise. So so following all that logic, I decide to make the call for 25 and the big blind completes as well. So we go three ways to a flop with 75 bucks in the pot and the flop comes 
ace, king, queen with one diamond. Again, we have ace, six of diamonds. So we flop decent. We flop top pair and a backdoor flush draw. The big blind checks and Brett C-bets large. He C-bets 60 into 75. Interesting sizing here, but it actually makes a lot of sense because he's going to have the range advantage and the nut advantage here. So he's going to have like ace king and, you know, sets of aces, kings, queens. He's going to have ace queen, all those hands. Uh, he will probably only have jack 10 suited, whereas both me and the big blind can potentially have jack 10 offsuit. But aside from that, he's got a pretty big advantage here. And when you have both the range advantage and the nut advantage, you can actually size up on your C-bet. So he sizes up, but with top pair and a backdoor flush draw, I'm not folding to a single bet. So I do decide to make the call, even though it's a little bit thin. And the big blind gets out of the way. So me and Brett go heads up to the turn, and it's an offsuit seven. So I don't pick up any additional equity. Again, the flop was ace-king-queen, and the turn is a seven. We have ace-six. Now Brett does something that I really like. He checks. And I think this is really good news because I assume he would keep betting with all of his strong hands, uh, at least the hands that are better than one pair. I think he's really likely to continue betting at a high frequency with his ace kings and his sets and his straights and, you know, all that stuff. So when he checks, I think that caps him. Now, I don't think it fully caps him because I could certainly see Brett trying to make a trap on me with a big hand uh, as he thinks I'm a bit of an overaggressor. But like I said, by and large, I, I think this does cap him a decent amount at one pair. So my decision is to bet small or check. And I just decide to kind of follow the incentive of my hand. And I think the incentive of my hand is to try to reach showdown fairly cheaply. So I decide to check back. Hopefully get to showdown cheaply and on the river, see if my pair of aces is good. And the river comes in offsuit queen pairing the queen. So now the board is run out. Ace, king, queen, seven, queen. He bet the flop I called. We both checked the turn. And now on the river with about 195 bucks in the pot, Brett bets 200, a slight overbet. And I think this is really, really interesting because my first thought is I don't anticipate him having a lot of queens in this spot. And you might be asking yourself why. And I think my logic for him not having a bunch of queens is that the flop was ace, king, queen. So for him to open from early position and then bet into two other players on this board, he'd have to have like queen jack or queen 10. But it doesn't really make that much sense for him to bet those large on the flop because he shouldn't anticipate either me or the big blind folding a better hand, right? It's pretty hard for us to fold, you know, a pair of aces or, you know, kings with a, with a gutter hands like that. We're going to continue a lot if we have any piece of this board for one bet. So if he's going to C-bet this board with a queen, I would think he'd want to bet on the turn as well and really just leverage his, his range advantage. It doesn't make that much sense for him to like C-bet as a semi-bluff and then give up on the turn when he meets resistance because he should anticipate meeting a lot of resistance on this board. So when the queen falls on the river and he bets big, I'm like, okay, doesn't seem that logical that you have a queen. The trouble is, it also doesn't seem that logical that he has a bluff. And the reason is, is because I can have all the queens and he knows that. I could easily have called the flop with my own queen, a hand like queen jack or queen 10, and then check back the turn and try to see what happened. So I, I figure he should understand that I have a lot of queens in this spot, probably more than him. The other part of it not being a bluff is like, 
what bluff does he have? Like, what hand did he make a big bet on the flop of ace, king, queen with, check the turn, and then bet big on the river? What hand makes sense? 10-9? You know, it's the only hand that really has any equity at all. And obviously, when I check back the, the turn, he probably thinks I'm somewhat capped. Like, I don't have two pair of my own. I don't have the nut straight. But again, I can have queens. So it just, just doesn't make that much sense that, that this would be a bluff. Now, the one thing that does strike me is that he could easily have a better ace-x than me that now is chopping, right? Because the queen paired, we both have aces and queens with a king kicker. Remember, the board is ace-king-queen, seven-queen. And he's betting big to try to bet me off of a chop. And if he's doing that, this is actually a really good sizing because it's 200 for me to call to only win 100. <clears throat> you know, it's essentially a, a 2x pot bet for me. So not that great of odds. So I actually do really like his sizing no matter what he has. And I just think, man, I just don't think he's bluffing very often. I think that this is a chop a decent amount of the time, but he could also have some hands, maybe like King Queen that he decided to play funny and, and check the, the turn. I just fucking don't know. But, but what I do know is he's a bet big and it's often not a bluff. So I just fold the hand. I fold the hand and sadly, I never find out what he had. So, did I play this hand well? Uh, I do not think that I did at all. I think I made a number of kind of questionable mistakes. I don't think there were big mistakes, but I just don't think I played this hand that well at all. Again, I, I talked a little bit about my thinking preflop, but I think I can easily just fold this hand. I don't think it's a mistake to call, but I don't think it's great. The place that I actually wish I could have gone back and done something different was on the turn, right? He bet the flop, I called. On the turn, he checked, and I actually think that, yes, the incentive of my hand is to reach showdown cheaply, but I think the best way to do that is by betting small on the turn and then checking back the river when he checks, right? Because when I bet small on the turn, that uncaps me. That means that I can have big hands like two pair. I can have the flop straight. So he's almost always going to check to me on the river, and then I can check to showdown. The way that I did it, I tried to get to showdown mega cheaply by checking back the turn. And instead, when a scary card came on the river, he was able to overbet the pot and fold me out of the hand. So I really gave him control and uh, and he made me pay for it, man. He used me and that feels bad. <laughs> I hate getting I hate getting worked by other good players uh, on the river. I think my fold is fine. I think my logic there is is pretty good that he just rarely has a bluff. I think we're chopping a lot. And then sometimes he you know, has a hand that I didn't expect him to have. Sometimes he has a queen that he played in a different way than I expected, or he has jack 10 and was trying to lay the trap on the turn, whatever. The bottom line is Brett used my ass, chewed me up, spit me out. He owned me. Feels bad. Feels bad. So uh, I don't think that I'm going to fully launch myself into the sun for this, but I definitely think that Brett outplayed me in this hand and do not like getting outplayed. So that's hand one. Stay tuned for hand two, where uh, I turn the tables a little bit. All right. Hand two, two, three, five at the California Grand Casino. Our friend Brett is under the gun and he opens to 20. So there's one fold. It gets to me. And I look down at six, five of spades. And this is definitely a hand that 
most players want to play through a call. They have an open. They, they look down at 6-5 suited. They're like, oh, yeah, I want to play. I call. And what ends up happening? A bunch of players behind them call, and they essentially have to flop a big hand to make any money in the pot. Not generally how I want to play. So in the previous hand, I didn't three bet. In this hand, I do decide to three bet. So certainly it's a little scary three betting a player who's got a really strong tight range under the gun. But the other thing about six, five suited is if Brett ends up four betting me, you know, I can just let go of the hand. It's not that great of a hand. So I actually think this is a better bluffing candidate than some stronger hands. And it's also really hidden and deceptive. So he opens to 20 under the gun. I'm two to his left and I three bet to 75. It folds back around to Brett and he doesn't four bet. Thankfully, he makes the call. So we go heads up to a flop. There's about 150 in the pot and the flop comes pretty damn good for me. It's ace jack five with one spade. I have six five of spades. So I flop bottom pair and a backdoor flush draw. More importantly, I flop an advantage board. Now, why is it an advantage board? Uh, because I should have pocket aces here in full, whereas he should pretty much never have pocket aces because he should be four betting that hand at this depth. You can, you can trap with pocket aces, certainly pre-flop, but a lot of the times you want to be not that deep and you want to be in position. Neither of these hold true for Brett. So I would think that he'd four bet aces always because he didn't, he shouldn't have aces here. Similar logic holds true for ace five top and bottom pair. I would be using that hand as a three bet bluff quite a bit, but I don't think that he would be defending like opening under the gun and then defending to a three bet with ace five suited. I would think if he was going to play it, he would use it as a four bet bluff or a fold, not a raise and a call out of position. It doesn't really play well that way. And Brett plays well. So I have both top set and top and bottom pair. Uh, Ace Jack makes top two pair, and I think we actually have the same amount of Ace Jack because I would just be folding Ace Jack offsuit to his under the gun open, and I think he would just be folding Ace Jack offsuit to my three bet out of position. So I don't think either of us have Ace Jack offsuit here, and both of us would play Ace Jack suited this way. And and I think the same logic kind of holds true for pocket jack. So again, on ace jack five, I have the advantage with pocket aces and ace five. And then we're equal with ace jack suited and pocket jacks. Now he has an advantage with pocket fives. I wouldn't be three betting him when he's under the gun with pocket fives, but he would certainly be opening and then calling a three bet with that hand. So he has more pocket fives than me, but the good news for me is that I have a five in my hand. And that's really the power of this hand is that if you kind of look at the way that solvers structure bluffs, they really like using bottom pair as three barrel bluffs. And the reason is, is because it blocks bottom set. And then also it's got five outs to make trips or two pair, as opposed to like on ace jack five, say I had like a hand like pocket sixes, I only have two outs. Whereas if I have six, five, I have a backdoor flush draw. I have five outs to two pair trips. So it's a far better hand to start bluffing with. And that's what I decide to do. I see the opportunity. I say, this is an advantage board. I have a really key blocker to a strong hand that he might have, namely bottom set. We're blasting off, baby. Let's go. So he checks to me and I bet 60 into 150 and he check calls. The turn doesn't offer any help. It's an offsuit seven. He checks again. 
And now there's about 270 in the pot. And this is the classic down bet the flop, put the screws down on the turn. So he checks the turn and I bet 250 into 270, essentially leveraging stacks, right? He knows he's going to have to put in a lot of money if he wants to see this hand through to the end when I pot it on the turn and he quickly folds. So hot damn, we get this one through. We love to see it. Uh, allow myself to congratulate myself on this one. And I really like the way that I played this. Juxtapose this with the kind of passivity that I played the first hand through. I didn't three bet uh, pre-flop in hand one. Uh, I checked back the turn when I think a bet would have been prudent. In this hand, I three bet and then I barreled the flop and then I barreled the turn and I got him off the hand. And it just plays so much better then, like I said, the way a lot of players play it, where you just flat pre-flop and then a couple players come in, you flop bottom pair with a backdoor flush draw, somebody bets, you call a bet, the turn doesn't offer you any help, somebody else bets, and you just fold. Instead, I took control of this hand, I did it against a strong player, I used a really good candidate, I used a good betting line, down betting flop, and then and then you know potting the turn and got him off a hand that, that was almost certainly better than mine. We love to see it. Obama putting a medal on himself, dot meme. Okay, that was a pretty short hand. Uh, so throwing a bonus hand in for you guys. It's hand three. Stay tuned for that. All right, throw me a freaking bonus hand here. Again, two, three, five at the California Grand Casino. And our buddy Brett is under the gun again, and he raises again. He raises to 20 from under the gun. And then we get a call in middle position and it gets to me in late position. I think I'm in the cutoff here and I look down at ace 10 of hearts and certainly I can three bet this hand. In this instance, I decide not to three bet for the reasons I kind of didn't in hand one. Brett's under the gun opening range is going to be really strong. And also there's fewer players behind me. I'm in the cutoff. So really there's only the button behind me that I need to worry about post flop, right? So three betting here from the from the cutoff doesn't buy me as much position as it did say in hand two, where I three bet from under the gun three. Now there is a caller in middle position, which kind of incentivizes me to three bet a little more, but on the flip side, ACE 10 suited is a really good hand and I wouldn't want to get four bet off it kind of in a different way than the six, five suited in hand two. If I get four bet and have to fold six, five suited, I don't give a shit. ACE 10 suited is quite a bit better of a hand. So I decide to go with the call here. The big blind calls as well, and we go four ways to a flop. I have position on everybody, and the flop is pretty good for us. We flop the nut flush draw with our ace, ten of hearts. It comes queen, nine, three with the bottom two cards, hearts. So the big blind checks, and now Brett C-bet 60 and 80. So he makes a pretty big C-bet, about 75% pot. The middle position guy folds, and then it gets to me and I decide to call the 60. I don't love raising here because I think Brett has a really strong hand, almost always, when he C-bets into three other players on this kind of board. Now, I will have some raises on queen nine three because I'm going to want to raise my sets of nines and my sets of threes, hands like that. So I'm probably going to want to balance that with my flush draws that also have a straight draw. So on queen nine three with two hearts, something like jack 10 of hearts, King Jack of hearts, 10-8 of hearts, you know, a, a, a flush draw and a straight draw. 
Right now, I only have the nut flush draw. And if I start raising with all sorts of flush draws, you know, my range is just way too flush draw heavy, right? I just have very little value in a lot of draws. So, um, so I want to be really discerning about the types of hands that I choose to semi bluff raise here on this kind of board. So I decide to just call the 60 and the big blind check folds and I go heads up with Brett to the turn and the turn is not a great card. It pairs the nine. So queen nine, three with the bottom two cards hearts and then the nine pairs on the turn and Brett actually tanks a bit before betting 110 into 200. So a little more than half pot. And I actually halfway consider folding here, right? I'm getting about three to one. And I'm only exactly three to one to make the best hand if pairing my ace is good. So if he's got a hand like king queen or a hand like pocket king, something like that, where if I pair my ace, where if I pair my ace, I make the best hand. Um, that's great. But sometimes he's got a hand like pocket aces or ace queen, where pairing my ace is no good. So it's actually a pretty thin spot. That being said, I don't like folding nut flush draws and I have position on the river should I make my hand. So I have a pretty advantageous position. And for those reasons, I do decide to make the call. The river comes a beautiful card. It comes the deuce of hearts making me the nut flush. So queen nine, three with two hearts on the flop, nine pairs on the turn, deuce of hearts on the river. I have ace, 10 hearts, but we get some bad news because Brett thinks about it for a little bit and now bets 260 into 420. And I'm actually fairly sick when he makes this bet. He is so unlikely to have a bluff here. His range under the gun is really strong. And when he C-bets large into three other players, that even strengthens his range even more. And there's really not a ton of natural bluffs here for him to have, right? Maybe Jack-10 suited, where he flopped an open ender, but even that's a stretch, man. Like with the middle card pairing on the turn and the flush draw coming in on the river, this just seems like a really awful spot for him to be running a bluff. So the way that I think about it, there's almost no bluffs. And so are there value hands that I beat? And the answer is yes, but there's not very many of them, particularly King X of hearts. He can have King Queen of hearts or King Jack of hearts. But with the ace of hearts and ten of hearts in my hand and the nine of hearts on the board, there really aren't any combos besides that. It's possible that he has a lower flush, like maybe he opened eight seven suited under the gun, eight seven of hearts, and then and bet it on the flop and bet it on the turn and then made his flush on the river and bet it. But yeah, it's it's a little bit iffy. It's a little bit thin. Uh, I don't think he always continues barreling that hand when the nine pairs on the turn. And furthermore, like, I don't think he's ever value owning himself with like pocket aces, pocket kings, ace queen for value, because once the flush card comes in on the river, I just don't think he would be betting those hands big at all. And then, of course, there's also several value hands that beat me, particularly his flop sets of queens, nines and threes that either turned into boats or quads. So if I start thinking about it, there's very few bluffs. There's very little value that I beat. And then there's very little value that beats me right? There's seven combos of value that he has that beats me. Uh, three combos of queens, three combos of threes, and then one combo of quad nines. And then say maybe three combos of lower flushes that I beat, right? The king queen of hearts, the king jack of hearts, and we'll generally give them one lower combo too. So the pot is laying me about 2.6 to one. So I need to win about 28% 
to make this call. And like I said, I think I probably win three out of 10, uh, just counting combos. So I win about 30%. So it is essentially a break-even call. I'm a curious fella. I don't like folding. So I call the 260 and he shows me pocket threes for a full house and we lose the pot. Now, I just think this is one of those hands where both players played their hands pretty well, right? He flopped bottom set and he bet it all the way and that's great. Maybe he could have checked the river, tried to see if I'd bet a flush and then he could check raise me. But even then he knows I probably am not calling a check raise. So I think betting all three streets is fine. And from my perspective, I feel like I played the hand just fine. I think I thought through the hand well, and certainly uh, considering folding the turn, I think it was close. I think it folding the turn would have been fine, but calling was also fine. And then on the river, I, I think calling is fine there too. Uh, I didn't even consider raising. I didn't even consider raising for a minute. And I actually think a decent amount of players hit their nut flush on the river and decide to raise it. But like I said, I didn't even consider that here. Part of that is knowing how good my opponent is. I know that if he's got value that beats me, raising obviously is terrible. And if he's got value that I beat, like a lower flush, he's not calling my raise a whole lot. Like he knows that when I raise river, I'm not doing it for value with a worse hand than he has. So uh, I think we just both played the hand quite well. And this was one of those where somebody had to win. And unfortunately for me this time, it was my buddy Brett. So those are the hands for this week, you guys. I really appreciate you guys tuning in. If you like this podcast and you have a quick second, please leave me a star rating on your favorite podcast app. I think I have like 59 or 60 star ratings on Apple Pods, and I'd love to get that to the triple digits. So if you haven't done it, please, please, please give me a star rating and extra credit if you decide to leave me a written review. I have some new ones lately, and I've read them all. I appreciate you guys doing that. I really do. Thank you. All right. That's it, my friends. I will talk to you guys next week. And until then, play good and run pure.